This is Mortification of Spin, a weekly podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We can only continue producing with your support. Visit mortificationofspin.org to make a donation. The Mortification of Spin hosts delve into a more serious topic today in a discussion with Dr. Diane Langberg. A licensed psychologist, Dr. Langberg has walked alongside victims of domestic violence for almost four decades. In this sober conversation, she offers sound counsel for a complex and painful issue, how to respond to allegations of childhood sexual abuse in the church. So listen and get equipped to protect and provide hope for the weak and vulnerable. Welcome to The Mortification of Spin, the regular podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Uh, My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I'm joined by uh, Dr. Carl Truman, who is a professor of church history at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary and also the pastor of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania. And joining us also is Amy Bird, who is the housewife theologian, author of a book by that title. And uh, we are so grateful that you're listening in uh, today. And we have what uh, what we think will be a, a helpful program, certainly dealing with some sobering uh, issues today. And our goal is to serve the church well by introducing you to people and resources that will be helpful for you, particularly on a, on a program like today's program, Carl and Amy, where we are dealing with, as I said, very sobering issues, very serious issues. Um, our, our hope is that the church will be um, wiser uh, because of this conversation. Carl, we have a, a guest with us today. Tell us about her. Yes. Well, some months ago on the Mortification of Spin, we did a couple of podcasts on the issue of domestic abuse in the church and uh, raised questions about how the church should address uh, the problem and also expressed the opinion that that on the whole, we thought the church, particularly the Reformed Church, uh, the Complementarian Church, did not do a very good job of, of handling the problem as a whole. And we were quite surprised and somewhat overwhelmed by the, the amazing response uh, to those podcasts, particularly from uh, a lot of women who'd been subject to domestic abuse. And it raised uh, the idea in our minds of, of having a guest on the program who could speak with significant authority to this particular issue and also give very practical guidance to church members, to elders, to deacons, to pastors on how allegations of abuse should be handled and how situations where abuse is taking place should be dealt with within the Christian context. And so we're very privileged today to have as our guest uh, Dr. Diane Langberg. Uh, Dr. Langberg is a uh, licensed uh, psychologist in the state of Pennsylvania. She uh, runs her own uh, counseling organization, uh, which specializes in issues of domestic and sexual abuse. Uh, Dr. Langberg has degrees from Temple University and from Taylor University. She has many decades of experience in handling these very, very difficult issues. And so it's a real pleasure for us to welcome Dr. Langberg to the program today and to be able to uh, pick her brains for a few moments uh, on these kind of matters. So welcome to the program, Dr. Langberg. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. It's great to have you with us. Uh, I want to start by asking... uh, It's a fairly straightforward question, which may have a complicated answer, I guess, and and that is, uh, what do you think are the most common mistakes that Christians, elders, pastors uh, make when 
handling matters of domestic abuse within the church? I think um, the two most common that would come to mind are number one, disbelief, because uh, they are often incredulous, particularly when it, it involves people that they think that they know. And the second one, I think, is a very natural but strong inclination, which is in all of us, to protect the God-ordained institutions that we hold dear, often at the expense of caring for people who are in great distress. So, for example, to have somebody who's been in ministry in a church accused of either domestic or child sexual abuse is somebody we, we thought we knew. And so we can't believe it, right. don't want to believe it. And secondly, if it is true and exposed, what is it going to do to the church? Hmm. So I, I think that those are two big stopping places. Yeah, those are some really good points, Diane. What would you suggest, um, how, how would we handle a situation like that? And how can we raise awareness in the church? This is such a, a difficult subject to talk about. So how can we better raise awareness to the, the leadership in the church and the congregation? Well, let, let me first say, just for the record, statistically in the United States, uh, one in four women experiences domestic abuse at mm. least once in her lifetime of a marriage. And number two, that the statistics for sexual abuse are one in four girls and one in six boys are sexually abused by someone usually that they know before the age of 18. So if you take those statistics and just apply them to the people sitting in your pews, you have abused people in your churches. It's a given. Right. Whether you know it or not. Secondly, according to the FBI and other organizations, uh, sexual abuse in particular, child sexual abuse, is the most underreported crime in the United States. Mm -hmm. So that means you have abused people who don't tell you. They either have it in their histories or it's ongoing. And so part of what I urge pastors to do is begin to talk about these issues from the pulpit and teach about them. Yeah. I mean, the, the word of God is very clear that child sexual abuse and domestic violence are not okay. Yes, it is. That's not what his God-ordained institution of the family should look like. But we typically do not hear about it from the pulpit. And given the statistics, that's very troubling. Mm. Let me ask you this, Dr. Langberg, um, just practically speaking, because what you said obviously um, has implications in a in a pastor's uh, or a minister's daily um, work. And I know what it's like as a pastor to have somebody come to me and say, my husband has done this, or um, I'm afraid uh, this child is being abused, etc. What, um, generally speaking, would be the right first response to an accusation of uh, spousal abuse um, and or child sex child sexual abuse at a home so as, as a pastor or minister or ministry leader an elder uh, a children's ministry director whatever they have somebody come to them and say my, my husband's abusing me my husband's beating me or I'm concerned that this youth worker or this children's worker it has an inappropriate relationship with this child. What's the first thing that a pastor or ministry leader needs to do at that point? 
Well, I would answer them differently, uh, partly because with spousal abuse, you're talking about adults and not mm -hmm. minors. Um, with the woman who tells you that about her husband, the first thing I would want to know is, are you and your children physically safe? Yeah. Because if the answer to that is no, that's what you need to do. Right. Um, obviously, abuse, like any human behavior, is on a continuum. And so the answer may be, yes, we're safe. I'm not worried about that. And then, then you have to move to different things. But what you really want to do is hear the story. Mm -hmm. you, you want to, to um, affirm the person for coming to you because they, they're terrified. They're revealing a secret. They've probably been threatened uh, if, if they do reveal. Right. So I would just say, I, w I want to hear the story. I would probably invite maybe an elder in the church and one or two wives to be part of that. Mm -hmm. um, I always encourage churches to have w women in the congregations and, and men as well. So you have couples who do some reading about, say, mm -hmm. domestic abuse and really That's understand the issues and know what the local resources are. Yeah particularly if somebody's not safe. Mm -hmm. So you just begin by listening. You don't begin by doing anything unless safety is an issue. Right, right. Um, because every story will be different and need different responses. But um, you believe what you hear. Mm -hmm. It's very rare for people to do false allegations, and they seem to occur mostly in these really bitter, awful custody battles. Right, right. But usually people want home to be nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't want to stir up a mess. Yeah. That's yeah. why they hide it. Yeah. So yeah. that would be with domestic abuse. If you're talking about a child, it becomes very a very different matter. Um, if the allegation is somebody had sex with my child, then you have to report it, I think, mm -hmm. because you, you don't know what to do. Absolutely. You're not equipped to investigate. You're certainly not equipped to ask a child questions about such sensitive matters. So I, I think it would be... Um, very important to report it if someone has stated that sexual abuse has actually occurred. Right. If somebody thinks that a relationship is inappropriate, then you have to find out what that means. Yeah. What makes you think that? What have you seen? Um, has anybody else seen the same thing that I could talk to, uh, you know, another yeah. ministry leader or teacher or something? Right. Um, and if there are concerns because of maybe excessive touching or attention or things, then I would sit down with the person and say, you can't be with this child. Right. You know, even if the person says they're innocent, which they will, right. the point is it's distressing people and therefore it's probably distressing the child. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't, you cannot do that anymore. Right. Even if, even if no accusation of sexual behavior has occurred. Right. What are some practical measures that the church can take to um, safeguard against these kind of um, accusations in the first place or these kind of situations where an adult may be able to get too close to a child or in an improper relationship? Well, I, I think a couple of things, and one is that I, I can't give an adequate answer to that today. It, it, I think churches need to either consult with or look at policies and procedures from organizations that specialize in this. Okay. Um, Grace is one, um, Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment. They, they do policies and procedures things. There's another one called Darkness to Light that does that for churches in terms. So you have some idea of what it looks like to have a safe environment, not only for children, but for those who minister to them as well. Right, because it ultimately helps to protect the adults. Yes, absolutely. As well. And the whole church, the whole church. Mm -hmm, the whole church. 
And you're also then modeling for parents what it looks like to keep their own children safe. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a good point. So uh, I, I think that churches need to consult about that. And I'm not a policy writer person, so I would refer people to those who are. But there's a lot of pre-planning involved in this, and intentional Absolutely. planning. Absolutely. And um, the, the other thing I think is that that needs to be talked about with teachers and ministry leaders and things like that. And that is, we want this to be a safe environment for any human being who's vulnerable, which includes all children and lots of other people too. Yes. And so we're going to be teaching and talking about certain things like that and what to do and what not to do, because we do not want to even give the appearance of something right. that is not right. In your experience, Dr. Langberg, have you found that talking to churches' insurance companies is actually helpful in formulating policies, or, or is that uh, something that's irrelevant? It's not irrelevant. Insurance policies are obviously interested in this, <laughs> um, and they have things, but mostly their goal, I would assume, is to keep the church from getting sued so they don't have to pay any money. Right. So I think that you would want something more than that because you want it to be done respectfully and relationally and carefully. And I think it's more probably complex than most standard policies from insurance companies. Okay. okay. I wonder if I could just backtrack a little to, a, to an answer you gave a few moments ago. Uh, one of the things that, that struck me in the response to our original uh, programs on domestic abuse was, on the whole, the, the, the women writing in seemed to like what we'd said. But one of the things that a, a few of them took exception to was a comment that Todd and I had made about sometimes it's difficult in a he said, she said situation to decide who's telling the truth. Uh, now, you made a comment that people actually very rarely make false allegations. Uh, are you essentially saying there that when a pastor is faced with a a wife, a girlfriend, whomever comes and says, my, my husband or my boyfriend has been abusing me, that 99 times out of 100, if you like, they're going to be telling the truth and that the, the system, if you like, of response should be heavily loaded in favor of the, the person making the, the allegation. Yes, I, I would. And again, that does not mean to say that false allegations do not occur, but I've done this work for 40 years and I've had two. Hmm. Wow, hmm. that's that is a very st sobering statistic. And, and let me just give you a very staggering example: a Christian couple many years ago who did the classic "he said, she said" in my office for weeks till you know you feel like you're dizzy and trying to figure it out. And one day she asked to come alone, and she came to the session, and she said, "I just want to make sure that you know that what I'm saying to you is true." And she stood up and pulled her skirt up. She was black and blue on mm. both sides of her thighs because he beat her with a shovel. Mm. And verbally, she was not as articulate as he was. Mm -hmm. He was very good. Yeah. And if you just yeah, listen common, to the conversation, you would think, you know, these people need to learn how to talk to each other. Mm. <laughs> but it was this underneath thing, that, and she was afraid to say it in front of him. They came in the same car. Mm, yeah. What are some ways then that we can help the victims feel more comfortable, um, more safe with us, uh, the members of the church, friends in the church? And um, also, I'm sure that it's, it's quite a struggle for them just to be able to uh, trust God. 
yes, it is the big struggle for them to trust God. And part of the way, the best way a church can help with that is in the way that they respond to them, because they teach them different things about who God really is in terms of being a refuge. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the best way to help any woman, is say, who's, who's dealing with abuse in her home, whether it's of her child or of herself, is to ask her, because it won't be the same for everyone. Most of them won't want the whole church to know, unless there's obviously, if you find out the man's beating his wife, you've got discipline issues. But mm-hmm. um, they want a small group, and they'll need people that they can call when it happens. They'll need help figuring out what they need to do to be able to run out of the house with the kids at the last minute and where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing you need to know with women in domestic abuse situations, many of them try to leave between 10 and 20 times before they finally leave. Wow. And the reason is they love their husbands and they want it to work. Right. And so they're not trying to break up their marriage. They're trying to preserve it mm-hmm. at their own cost. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Um I mean, already. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking of dozens of questions, mm-hmm. almost. Um, on on the issue of of we're kind of going back and forth between spousal abuse and child sexual abuse, but I, um, we were having a conversation, uh, Dr. Langberg, before uh, th- this particular program about certain situations in the church, and and one situation I, I, I wonder if if you have any experience helping churches navigate is. What do you do with the person in the church who has been guilty of child sexual abuse, perhaps as a minor, perhaps as an adult, they've gone through the legal process, they're on the other end of it, perhaps they've served time, but, but they're on, they've paid their debt to society legally, so to speak. What does the church do with that person? How does the church love that person at the, and at the same time understand that when you're a child sexual abuser, uh, typically um, getting in trouble by the law doesn't just cure that. And so, how how do we how do we how does the church engage and and try to be the church for that person, and at the same time not by, be naive and uh, and incompetent in continuing to protect the children of the church? Well, if if you have a registered sex offender who has done jail time and is out. Um, then obviously you have Mm -hmm. a church to protect. You obviously also want to bring the grace of the gospel into that life. I think we have to think outside the box. Some churches have done what we refer to as bringing the church to the person Mm -hmm. rather than the person Mm -hmm. to the church. So, for example, a small group of people commit themselves to meeting with this person once a week Mm -hmm. for a service. That's interesting but not in the church. If they are in the church, I would never let them go anywhere without right. someone with them. I would go in, if, if they're there, whoever's with them should go into the men's room and come out and make sure there are no kids in there before they let them go in. There's all kinds of things mm-hmm. like that. But many people are finding, um, it, 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 it's exposing. If you take the church to the offender, and if you also say, we insist that if you're serious about change, that you are in treatment, and that we have access to the person who's providing that treatment, and it's very specialized treatment, and still a relatively new field, but we will meet with you, we will mm-hmm. be church for you. 
we are committed to walk with you. You have to be in treatment and we have to have access to that. If the person refuses, (laughs) they let you know something. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm better. I said I was sorry. I thought you people believed in forgiveness. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I think that's excellent counsel. Um, Secondly, um, how would you then respond to the, so so let's say, listen, here are the, here are the guidelines for you. Um, You have to be accompanied, et cetera. We're going to bring the church to you again. I think these are excellent ideas. How then do you respond to the inevitable accusation from that person or from somebody close to that person that, well, you just don't believe that God can change him. You're not being gracious. How, how do you respond to that? Well, God isn't the one you're supervising. He's the one. <laughs> That's a good answer. Right, right. He's the one you're supervising. Yeah. You have faith in God or you wouldn't bother with him at all. Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is why you want to be involved in his life. But the other thing that I think it's very important for the church to keep in mind and perhaps say to the man is... The sign of repentance, ultimately, is that you are more afraid that you will hurt children than you want yes. anything else in your life. Mm. That's really there good. A, there was a sex offender in a prison who said to the, the prosecutor who got him there, don't ever let me out if you want children to be safe. Wow. He got it. Yeah. Diane, can, can a victim move on? to have a a healthy relationship after something as horrific as sexual abuse? And how can you encourage them in that way? Uh, It's a slow process. It probably will take years, depending on the level of abuse, who the abuser was, and how chronic it was. So obviously, if somebody experiences one incident of sexual abuse that's disclosed and they get lots of care, let's say as a child, and the other is a child who's been sexually abused by her own father from the age of five to 20. You've got two different, it's just completely different. Right. But I, I have worked with men and women of chronic, brutal sexual abuse for years, and I call what I do a front row seat to redemption. I have seen lives utterly transformed. That's wonderful. Now, they still have the memories and they still have some things that tweak them and stuff like that, but their lives are utterly transformed. But I'm talking slow Mm -hmm. and years, right? which is an important thing for the church to hear. You cannot brutalize a child any more than you can twist up a sapling and then expect when it's older, it'll be a straight tree. It's not going to happen. That's a good illustration. Yeah. And and if you're going to try and change something that's, that's grown crooked, not by its own choices, then you have to do it very slowly or you'll break it. Dr. Langberg, I want to sort of bring the the discussion to a close now by asking you a a personal question. Um, From what you've said, from reading your webpage, from what we in the room here know about domestic abuse, you face on a daily basis, uh, you face very directly some of the worst aspects of, of human depravity. Uh, I'm imagining that day after day you get people coming through your office who are either very broken or in some some cases when they're abusers, very wicked people. How do you remain positive? I mean, that last answer you gave was, was beautiful. What is it that you do 
that allows you in the face of such wickedness and darkness to remain such a, from a human perspective, like an optimistic person? Well, I would even up the ante on your question because most of the people that I have seen have suffered at the hands of so-called believers. Hmm. I mean, wicked, ungodly people are one thing, but wicked who name the name of Christ are another. Absolutely. <laughs> but I, I think that God has used me in these lives, I know that, but he has used them in my life equally. And what he has done, and I was many years ago driven to the brink of quitting, what he has done is use them to teach me in deep ways about his cross and who he is. I, mean, I, I don't think I ever would have learned otherwise. And that he has, like he did in the garden, asked me in these areas to watch with him. But the part, and the watching is hard, but the with him is glorious. Now, I have to do very practical things. I learned a long time ago I have to be proactive in seeking antidotes to evil. You know, evil is ugly. I need to seek out beauty. Evil is chaotic. I need to seek out order. You know, so, you know, my husband and I hike in the woods and love Bach. And there's all kinds of things that I use like that to feed me. I have women that I pray with on a regular basis who understand the work. Uh, I'm up very early <laughs> in my own study uh, every day. Um, and, and those are pillars in my life. Um, so it's just drinking in the beauty of his world where I can. But, but uh, what he's taught me about himself, that's been the real ju jewel, the real treasure in the darkness. Well, thanks very much for that, Dr. Langberg. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the program today. Uh, domestic abuse, sexual abuse within the church is, is a huge problem. Uh, we're all aware of the, 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 the travails within the Roman Catholic Church on child sex abuse. I think we're also all aware that uh, precisely the same kind of problem exists just below the surface in, in polite Protestant evangelical churches. And the sooner the church takes a proactive stance towards this abuse, uh, the better it will be both for the victims and, of course, for the abusers. Uh, we will post various links uh, to Dr. Langberg's work and other helpful ministries on the website for this podcast. But I'd also like just to close by uh, reaffirming what uh, Dr. Langberg has just said, and that is we live in a, a dark and depraved world, but it is important as Christians that we focus upon the beauty of God, particularly the beauty of God as he's revealed himself in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that is the only way, ultimately, that we can find redemption in this world, and it's the only place where, ultimately, we can find hope. So thank you very much for joining us for this podcast. We hope it's been helpful, and we look forward to being with you next time. Thanks very much. This has been Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Remember to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, where you can sign up for a chance to win a free set of messages on the Psalms by James Montgomery Boyce, entitled Hearing God When You Hurt. Mortification of Spin is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include Reformation21.org, 
the Bible Study Hour, and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit mortificationofspin.org or call 800-488-1888. Please join the gang again next week. And don't forget to enter for your chance to win a free MP3 set.